0: If you're a, a regular here at CEC, you'll know that normally in our preaching series, we work our way through different books of the Bible. Uh, we do that because we think that's the best way to hear God speak to us, uh, to take Bible books as God's given them to us, and go through them chapter by chapter um, each week. Uh, but every now and then, we do a more topical series. We, we pick a topic or a theme Uh, that we think would be helpful to look at, and try to see what the whole Bible, the Bible as a whole, says about that topic or that theme. Uh, Over the next few weeks, over the summer, we're going to be looking at the theme of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to see uh, what the Bible says about who he is uh, and what he does. Lots of us will be aware that it is a topic that might be confusing or or at points controversial. Uh, We saw that was particularly the case, didn't we, when we looked at spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians not long ago. And so with that in mind, I just thought it would be good for us to spend a bit of time uh, looking more broadly at what the Bible says about the Spirit. And in doing so, hopefully, we'll see that spiritual gifts and all that we thought about with that is just one aspect of the Spirit's work in our lives today. So we're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. as the plan. And Bethan is going to come up and read our first passage this evening.
1: Our reading is from John chapter 14, starting at verse 15, and that's on page 1082 in the church Bibles. John chapter 14, verse 15, 1082. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid.
0: Thanks Betham. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. Father, thank you that you have given us your word so that we can hear you speak. And Father, we thank you as well that you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us this evening, to help us hear you, to help us take in what you have to say, and to change us to be more like the Lord Jesus. We pray that he would do that work in us this evening. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, you don't have to be around Christians or, or churches for very long uh, to hear them talk about having a relationship with God, do you? Uh, maybe you've heard someone say something like that or uh, something similar, and actually you've thought, having a relationship with God, that, that just sounds, frankly, a little bit odd. I can understand how someone might respect God. I can understand how someone might revere God. But having a relationship with God, how does that work? How can you relate to someone who's not right there in front of you? How can you know someone that you can't see or be with? Having a relationship with God, what is that all about? Well, here in John chapter 14, the disciples are actually asking a similar question. You see, if we'd read through John's Gospel, we'd have seen that that Jesus has been with them for three or so years. He's been teaching them. He's been guiding them. He's been explaining the kingdom of God to them. And they've come to believe that, that he is none other than God himself. God come to earth as a living, breathing man. Someone that they could relate to. Someone they could talk with. Someone they could listen to. Someone they could share a meal or a joke together with. Someone they could have a relationship with. Uh, that's what they'd come to experience. But but now Jesus has gathered them together. And he's gathered them together to tell them that he's about to leave them. He is going. And unsurprisingly, the disciples are concerned. Uh, back at the start of the chapter in 14 verse 1, we read that their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are troubled because, well, because they've come to love Jesus. They love him. And they're not really sure what loving him will mean once he's gone, what it will mean to keep on loving Jesus, to keep on following Jesus when he's not with them anymore. And so it was a big question for them. How do we relate to Jesus when he's gone? How can they have a relationship with God when he's not right there in front of them? It was a big question for them, and it's still a big question for us. People will ask, how do you have a relationship with a God who's not standing right in front of you, who you can't see? And so here in the second half of John chapter 14, Jesus begins to give an answer to that question. In the passage that we're looking at this evening, he says that a relationship with him, a relationship with God, is possible because of the Holy Spirit. As I've already said, we'll all be aware that the topic of the Holy Spirit brings with it a number of different views and opinions and thoughts and ideas, a topic that can at points be controversial or confusing. And so I thought we'd start here in this short series in John chapter 14 by looking at what Jesus has to say about the Spirit. And we're going to do that by answering two big questions from this passage. The first is who is the Spirit? And secondly, what does he do? Who is the Spirit and what does he do? So first, who is the Spirit? And notice that the question is, who is the Spirit, not what is the Spirit? You see, this might be just really obvious to some of us, but the Spirit is a person. Jesus, in talking to his disciples about leaving them, says in verse 16, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So you see, the Spirit is, is a he, not an it. A who, not a what. As I say, that, that might be obvious to us, but, but I do think it's something that we sometimes forget, particularly the way that we talk. When we think of Jesus, we immediately think of a person, don't we? That's easy because when we read about him in the Bible, we read about a man, a person walking, talking, eating, sleeping, doing all the things that people do. But when we read and then talk about the Spirit, we can fall into speaking as though he's more like some sort of energy or power. Uh, We can think of him as the Bible's version of the Force from Star Wars. But here Jesus is clear. The Spirit isn't simply a power. He's a person. In fact, Jesus says he's another person. Another person just like Jesus. Verse 16 again. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. The word advocate simply means a helper, someone who stands with you, stands by you. A little bit like a lawyer in a courtroom. We're going to come back to that word and think more about it next week. But for now, just notice that Jesus says the Spirit is another advocate, another helper, another just like him. The word there, another there, actually means another of the same sort, Uh, And so the Spirit is another person of the same sort as Jesus. And so uh, to reiterate that, he says in verse 17 that uh, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Uh, Back at the start of chapter 14, just look uh, back across the page there in uh, verse 6 and 7, Jesus says that he is the truth. And so again, Jesus is describing the Spirit in similar terms to himself. And very simply, he wants us to grasp the, the fact that the Spirit isn't just a person, but a divine person. He is the Holy Spirit. He is God himself. And so just as Jesus is God, and just as the Father is God, so the Holy Spirit is also God. Uh, That's a a huge topic for us uh, to get our heads around. The the topic of the Trinity could take up a whole other series uh, by itself. Uh, But very simply here, we just need to have clear uh, at the start that the Spirit is a person. A person just like Jesus, of the same sort as Jesus. Which means he's a divine person. He is God. The third person of the Trinity, And so that's who the Spirit is. And the next question, which we're going to spend longer thinking about this evening, is what does he do? And this really is the question of our next six weeks over the summer. What does the Spirit do? What does he do? And in John 14, I think we see two key things that the Spirit does. The first is that he unites us to God. Remember, the disciples, they are worried that Jesus is about to leave them. But as we've just seen, Jesus says, you don't need to worry because I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Spirit. Look what he says in verse 17. The world cannot accept him, that's the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus will send the Spirit and he says the Spirit's not just going to live with the disciples as Jesus has been doing uh, for the last few years. No, the Spirit is coming to live in them. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the prophet Ezekiel spoke of a day when God would no longer live in a tent or in a temple, uh, but he would come to live in the hearts of his people. Uh, By his Spirit, God would live in his people. And in doing so, he would enable them to live wholeheartedly for him. And so here, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus says that promise, that promise in Ezekiel and others in the Old Testament, they're, they're about to be fulfilled. The Spirit is coming, and he will unite you with God. And do you notice as well how, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in this union. Uh, Verse 20, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And again in verse 23, Jesus replies, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Uh, Through the Spirit, the Father and the Son will not just be with the believer, uh, but live in them. And so can you see how, well, how reassuring, how mind-blowingly amazing this would have been for the disciples? Yes, Jesus is leaving. Yes, he's about to return to his father. Uh, but in chapter 15, he'll say that that is actually a really good thing. Uh, because it would mean that the disciples can not only follow him, but they can enjoy an intimate, deep relationship with God because he will come to live in them. And the same is true for us today. As Christians, we don't just believe in a set of ideas about God. Being a Christian it isn't just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a club that you join. It's an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. We don't just know things about God. That's not what we're doing here. No, we know God because he comes to live in us by his Spirit. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians over the last term, that should change the way that we think about ourselves. We have, if we're Christians here this evening, we have God living in us. And so it really does matter. What we do with our bodies, what we say with our tongues, what we use our time and our energy for. It should change the way we view ourselves and it should change the way we view each other as well. If we are deeply and intimately united to God by His Spirit, well, that means we are deeply and intimately united to each other by that same Spirit. Paul says we are one body united. By the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says to his disciples, Yes, yes, I I am leaving you, but don't worry. The Spirit is coming and he will unite you to God. And secondly, the Spirit is coming and he will help you. People don't really like the idea of being helped nowadays, do they? We we don't like the idea of being dependent on anyone much really. We want to be independent people. That's held up as the thing to aim for. And I've come to realize that that desire for independence starts at a very young age. One of my daughter's first words was self. She learned to say self very early on. And self is just a shorthand for her saying, I can do this by myself. Thank you very much, Daddy. I do not want or need any help from you. That was in me at two years old. And we don't change, do we? Whether it's in the workplace or in the home, we want to be seen as competent, capable people, people who have got things sussed. And that attitude can so easily slip into the way we view the Christian life. Even here in the church, we like to be seen as people who are capable, who are in control, who are doing the Christian life well. We like to be seen as independent. We think of ourselves as independent. And uh, if you need convincing of that fact, or well, the question that always gets me is how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? When I think about that question for myself, I, I quickly see that my lack of dependence on God is seen in my lack of prayer i think i can manage by myself i think i'm doing quite well on my own and so i don't pray how's your prayer life we we like to think that we're independent don't we but over and over again the bible says no no that is foolish if there's one big thing the bible teaches us about ourselves it's that we desperately need help we are far more dependent than we like to think. We really do need help, and Jesus has provided us with that help by sending the Spirit. Look at verse 16 again. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Jesus sends the Spirit with the explicit purpose of helping his people. That is what he's come to do. And he helps us primarily by pointing us to Jesus. We've already seen in verse 17 that the Spirit is described as the Spirit of truth. and Back in, earlier in chapter 14, Jesus is the truth. And so as, we see, as we'll see as we go through this series, one of the key roles of the Spirit is to testify to, to point to Jesus, to point people to the truth. Jesus makes that even clearer for us at the end of chapter 15, where he says this, when the advocate comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And so unlike the world out there, the Spirit doesn't tell us to look within ourselves, to find some sort of inner strength inside of us. No, he tells us to look to Jesus. The Spirit lifts our eyes from our circumstances. He lifts our eyes from our struggles and our sin. And he points us to our Savior. Just think about how that works for a moment. When we fail to love other people as we often do, when we are selfish and unforgiving, the Spirit is the one who points us to Jesus, who points us to the one who was perfectly loving for us. When we struggle with obedience, when we fail and we sin again and again and again, it is the Spirit who points us to Jesus, the, the one who was perfectly obedient in our place. The Spirit is the one who lifts our eyes off of ourselves and fixes them firmly on our Saviour. The one who points to Jesus, who at the cross took the punishment for our sin and exchanged his perfect life for our sinful one. And so it's as the Spirit does that, it's as he fixes our eyes on Jesus, that that we know the truth, that we we find forgiveness, uh, the truth of hope in Christ, the, the ability to keep living for him to love like he loves and to obey like he obeyed. And so again, can you see how reassuring this would have been for the disciples? The disciples who have had Jesus by their side, guiding them, showing them, helping them, teaching them for these years. But Jesus, who is about to leave them, but is not leaving them on their own. He will send the Spirit, the, the one who will come to live in them, And keep pointing them back to Jesus. Keep reminding them of their Savior. It's the Spirit who helps us to know Jesus better. And it's also the Spirit who helps us to make Jesus known. You see, the disciples, they've been listening to Jesus explain all of this, all this stuff about the coming of the Spirit and how God's about to fulfill those wonderful promises to Ezekiel. But then in verse 22, Judas has a question. You see, Judas knows that that God has promised to extend his blessing to all people, uh, to the very ends of the earth. And so in verse 22, he says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus, why are you doing all of this for us and not everybody else? Why not reveal yourself to the whole world? I thought that was the whole idea. Wasn't that the big plan? What about everybody else? And we see Jesus' reply in verse 23. Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Don't worry, Judas, Jesus says. God hasn't forgotten his promises the promise of life, the promise of the Spirit. Uh, These are promises for who? For anyone. Anyone and everyone who will love me and obey my teaching. And in fact, that's been the big message throughout John's Gospel. Uh, As I say, we've jumped in here at chapter 14, but if we went back, we would see that anyone, whether a fisherman or a tax collector or a religious leader or a Samaritan woman, anyone who loves Jesus, anyone who listens to his word and believes in them, well, that person can have eternal life. That person can enjoy this intimate, permanent, personal relationship with God. This is for anyone who will love Jesus and listen to him. And so you can imagine, can't you, that that Judas is nodding away, thinking, yes, yes, this all makes sense. I I get that we need to listen to you, Jesus. I I get that loving you involves listening and obeying. Uh, But what I still don't get is how this is going to work once you've gone. How will people respond to your words when you're no longer there to speak to them? Look at verse 25. All this, Jesus says, I have spoken while still with you, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Don't worry, says Jesus. The Holy Spirit is coming and he will help you to remember my words. And that isn't just for your own sake. It's not some nostalgia thing so you can just think back to good times. No, no, this is so that you can remember them and proclaim them, so that others can hear them and respond to them as well. That is ultimately where Jesus is heading in this final conversation with his disciples. He's, on the one hand, he's reassuring them. He's saying, don't worry, I'm not leaving you alone. But he also has a job for them to do. The disciples, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are to take Jesus' words and proclaim them. To speak them. And crucially for us here this evening, to record them in the pages of the New Testament. In the pages that we're holding in front of us this evening. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples, they heard and believed the words of Jesus. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit, they took those words and they proclaimed them to the ends of the earth. They continued Jesus' mission by proclaiming Jesus' words. And we are called to do the same here in Chessington. We're different, of course, to the disciples in that the Spirit doesn't inspire us to write Scripture as he did for them. That work is complete. We thought about that back in Corinthians. That is complete, complete and so there is no new revelation from the Spirit. Everything that we need for the task Jesus has given us is right here in the pages of this book. The Bible is the Spirit-inspired Word of God, which means we can trust it completely. The words that we read in the Bible, that we've read this evening, they are human words, written by a bloke called John, but they are at the same time divine words. Later, Paul describes um, them as God-breathed. And and Peter will say that the writers of the Bible spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible is not just a record of what was once said by people long ago. No, when the Bible is read and when it's preached, when it's opened up, God speaks. It is the Spirit-inspired Word of God, which means we can trust it. And just like the disciples, it means that we can proclaim it. We can continue in this mission by taking Jesus' word to the world. We can open up and proclaim the Spirit-inspired word of God. And in doing so, we give people the opportunity to hear and respond and receive life in Jesus' name. Which means, if we really want our neighbors and our friends, and our family, to enjoy a relationship with God. At some point, we will need to open up the Bible with them. Being a nice Christian friend, showing love and kindness to people, are all vitally important things. But they will only get us so far. People need to hear Jesus speak to them through his word, the Bible. They need to listen to Jesus more than anything else in the world because, verse 23 says, it's only as they listen to him, only as they love and obey his word, that they can enjoy a relationship with God. And so people need to meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And it is our job, it is my job, and it is your job to introduce them, uh, to invite them to come and meet the one who has the words Of eternal life if we love Jesus then our job our mission is not just to be nice people it is to give people the opportunity to hear Jesus speak to them through his words and I know even as I say that that for many of us myself included that is a daunting prospect it is far less scary to just smile and be friendly with people But the idea of opening up the Bible with someone, or of bringing them to church to hear the Bible preached, that is a different thing altogether. And so we might feel anxious. We might feel concerned or frightened at the idea of doing this, of continuing Jesus' mission by spreading his word. But you know what? I'm pretty sure the disciples felt the same way. You know, all 12 of them. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew how they were feeling. And he knows how we feel. Which is why he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. You don't need to be worried about what lies ahead you have my peace. Yes, there is a job for you to do, but it's not a job I expect you to do on your own. I'm not just here to give you a pep talk or a motivational speech or some top tips on evangelism. No, I'm giving you myself. I'm I'm giving you my spirit who will come to live in you, who will keep reminding you of me, keep filling your vision of me. And my spirit, he will enable you to speak about me. Even when it's hard, even when it's awkward, even when you face opposition. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us, if you believe in me, then you have my spirit, God himself, living in you. And verse 16, he will be with you forever forever enabling you, forever empowering you to keep on going, to keep living for Jesus, to keep speaking for Jesus. What that involves, what that looks like to live lives in step with the Spirit is what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. Uh, But now, we're going to thank God for the gift of his Spirit, that amazing gift of God coming to live in us. Let's pray together. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, it is, it is beyond our comprehension, really, to think about these things, to think that you, the, the God of the universe, the God who made the stars and the planets and everything else, come to live in us by your Spirit to dwell in the hearts of your people, to work in us, to help us, to change us, to transform us into people who live for Jesus, who look like Jesus, and who love Jesus. Father, we thank and praise you for the gift of your spirit this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.